Well, good morning. My name is Trevor Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horror, and I'm so glad to be able to stand on the stage and spend time with you this morning. I trust everyone had a good day yesterday, a safe day. Who ate more than they should have? Oh, come on, people. Dude, there's nothing I love better on the 4th of July than a hot dog, and you put everything you possibly find in the fridge on the hot dog. So it's like coleslaw, jalapenos, uh, any kind of sauce you can grab. You put a chili, all of it on the hot dog, and slam it. That is a good 4th of July. I hope it was a good one for you. Here's the truth. As we began last week, we, all of us, are on a journey. Every single one of us are on this journey called life. It's headed somewhere. The arc of our life is going to lead us to a certain direction. The trajectory of our choices will result in a certain outcome. And this journey that we find ourselves on is a series of ascents and descents, slips and falls, vistas and overlooks, trails and wilderness, but we are all on a journey. You know, last week, uh, Daniel Stevanis did a great job kicking off this series, this new Psalms of Ascent series, and he walked us through Psalm 121. And he told us, listen, this psalm reminds us that the only hope, the only help that we have comes from God himself. We've got to look to him to be our helper, to be our guide, to be our hope. If we look at the creation, we'll be sadly disappointed, but we have to look to the creator. And Daniel did a great job of kicking this whole thing off, reminding us that the Jewish people, three times a year, Deuteronomy 16 says that three times a year, all the men of Jerusalem, all the men of Israel, will come together and rendezvous at the, the house of the Lord, at the temple, and worship God together. So three times a year, they would make this journey to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. Passover in the spring, Pentecost in the summer, the Festival of Tabernacles in the fall, three times of year they would make this journey. And it was not an easy journey. There was rocks and boulders and canyons and mountains they'd have to travel through to get to the temple to worship God. Jerusalem was 2,800 feet above sea level, so no matter what way you came to Jerusalem, you had to go what? Up. You had to travel up. And so these psalms were named appropriately the Psalms of Ascent because these are the songs they would sing. These are the things they would say over and over and over again each and every year to remind themselves of where they were headed, this journey that they were on, the God that they followed all the way to worship God in Jerusalem each and every year. Now really, we actually have songs like this in our culture as well. Songs that, if we're honest, they kind of unite us. They kind of bring us together. We're familiar with them, so familiar with them that you only need a little bit of a taste and you know exactly what's going on. You're immediately there, just like the Jewish people. And these songs, if you've been to a, re a wedding recently, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen it played out right before your very eyes. So after the ceremony, the ring exchange, the cake, all the unimportant stuff, you know, finally, all the guests get to get on the dance floor and the DJ crank cranks up the music. And if I were to say to you in this room right now, if I were to, to sing, I use that lightly, sing, sweet Caroline. Yeah. Didn't even think about it, did you? It just happened. If I were to sing this to you, uh, whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa. That was, that was rough. I'm sure those online in their living rooms, they killed that last part. How about this one? If I were to say to you, everybody clap your hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, that was very abrupt and, and done. Good. So I'm impressed with y'all's ability. But I, I want to show you, this is what happens when you have songs like this that are deeply ingrained into our culture. And some of these songs, I don't know why, but they do something to us. You've been to a wedding. You've heard these things. Instantly, you go there together right away. Nobody even talked about it. Family, strangers, it doesn't matter. When these songs play... We all dance, and we all get involved. 
You see, these psalms, they were actually songs that were collected together in the Old Testament into this one big book. They range in genre and essence from psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of praise, psalms of prayer, and some songs in this collection of this greater book are actually psalms of lament. And these psalms of lament, they have a certain distinctness about them. There's a bitterness about the psalms of lament. There's a, a pain, an anguish that you read within these books of lament. I remember the first time I ever really became familiar with this word lament. I was a freshman in college at Taylor University. Uh, it was September 11th, 2001. And more than likely, everyone in the room here who was alive then, you remember exactly where you were, what you were doing that day on September 11th. I had an eight o'clock class that I was often late for. Uh, I showed up to that English class, and after class, I walked back to my dorm across the campus, and I walked into the hallway, into my room, and there was all kinds of guys from the hall in my room watching TV. I said, guys, what are y'all doing? He's like, just be quiet, just sh sit down. So I sat down next to these other guys in my room, and we all watched together as we saw two planes flying to the side of the World Trade Center. They crashed to the ground, killing 2,977 people. As we watched this take place before, I couldn't believe what I was watching. It seemed like a movie, something I'd seen before, but it was still very unfamiliar. And again, you probably know exactly where you were on that particular day as that took place. They canceled all classes. All the students from the campus all came to the chapel together, and about 3,000 of us in the chapel. And I'll never forget, because there was a person on stage, one of the leaders of the school, who were saying to us things like, listen, do not worry. Do not be afraid. God is still in control. Everything's going to be okay. As we just experienced something I'd never experienced before in my entire life. As they kept talking up front, all of a sudden, this professor, I didn't know who they were, standing in the middle of the auditorium, stood up in the 3,000 people and shouted back at the stage as they were talking, let us lament. I was like, okay, this is getting awkward. They kept talking from the stage, hoping he'd be quiet and sit back down, but he didn't. He just kept saying, let us lament, let us lament, give us space to lament. And as awkward as it got in the room, as they kept talking from the stage, he would not relent. Let us lament. Looking back now, not being a freshman in college, being more familiar with this concept, I know exactly what he was saying now. He was saying, let us be sad. Let us grieve. Let us sit in this and process this. This is heavy. We can't just move forward as if nothing happened. Let us lament. And that day, America decided we will never forget this. It changed America. It changed the world forever. You see, the Israelite people, the writers of these Psalms that are collected together in the Old Testament, they have a history that is very painful as well. The Israelite people, they had a history where they had been taken into exile, away from their homeland. From their, they were living in a foreign land at this point in time. And parts of these songs and these psalms of lament, as they celebrate together in this festival at the, at the temple of God, they remember their past pain. They go back and they never forget all the difficulty they come through, the suffering and the trials. They bring it up each and every year. They take time to lament. Here's what it says in Psalm 120. The writer says this, the very first psalm of all the 15 leading up to uh, arriving to worship in the temple. The first psalm says this, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? What more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows and burning coals of the broom bush. 
Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long, too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You can hear the anguish in the writer's tone as he writes Psalm 120. You can feel the pain. And those of us who live in the West, we miss out on some of the cultural context of what he's saying here within this passage. He says, I live in Meshech. Now, Meshech was a location. It was a place that was far from Jerusalem. Kedar, the tents of Kedar, was a location far from Jerusalem. Both of these locations, Meshech actually means sorrow. Sorry, Kedar actually means sorrow. And it was located in Arabia, far removed from Jerusalem. Meshech was a location between the Black and Caspian Sea. It was inhabited by barbarians. These two places within the psalm, the psalmist is saying, we are so far removed from our homeland. And for a Jewish person, you believed in the homeland, in Jerusalem, in the temple. That's where God dwelt, where he ruled, and where he reigned, and where he brought shalom, peace. But woe to us, he says. We're not there anymore. We're now in a foreign land. We're journeying like pilgrims, trying to make it back to worship God in the temple. The very first psalm of the 15. Suffice it to say, the writer is lamenting the fact that peace no longer reigns where they exist because there are others who are for conflict and who are for war. The lament is over the loss of peace. And in biblical terms, this word would be shalom. And shalom, from the very beginning of the Bible, would mean this. This is the wholeness, the completeness, the perfection that God has intended from the world from the get-go, from the very beginning. And though God desires that there are others who desire other things, namely, in, first, in chapter 120, war and conflict. These psalms are largely considered to be psalms of pilgrims who are committed to seeking peace, seeking shalom, even though they journeyed in a world that was opposed to it. This first psalm of ascent, it reminds us they knew exactly where they were headed. We're going to the temple. And in order to get there, we first have to start here with lament. So what does a song like this have to do with us? Written so long ago by people so far removed from us, actually I think it has a lot to do with us today. Because as followers of Jesus, we too are pilgrims. We are journeying through a foreign land. Though yesterday we celebrated Independence Day, before we are citizens of America, we as Christians are citizens of heaven. Before we are ever citizens of this country, we are citizens of this realm where God rules and he reigns. And so in a lot of ways, we can relate to what this feels like. You see, part of this journey as a Christian is learning how to lament, how to be willing to look around the world around us and see the peace, the shalom of God has been lost and for it to break our hearts and for us to mourn. But here's the problem, especially for many of us who live in the West. We don't lament very well because we are so eager to numb our pain. We are so dedicated to avoiding anything that's uncomfortable. And the fact that the Jewish people would revisit their sadness, their difficulty, their dark times each and every year throughout history, this is a foreign thought to us. The idea of going back to some of these painful times, this loss, this sadness, past mistakes, broken dreams, we're not very good at lamenting, we're much better at forgetting just moving forward, moving on. You see, we live in a culture 
where it's so easy for us to be preoccupy ourselves, to numb ourselves, to pretend like everything is fine. And so what we end up doing, rather than visiting some of the difficulty of our past, whether it's past sin, past difficulty, past struggle, past trials, we simply do this. We binge watch Netflix. We escape with alcohol. We run up credit cards. We mindlessly scroll social media. We pretend like everything's fine, among many other things. We don't lament very well because we are so eager to numb our pain. But here's the problem. In order for us, I believe, to become the healthiest version of ourselves, not just individually, but collectively. In order for us to be a part of the solution to a broken world, we have to first take time to lament, to sit in it. Even though you may feel like you want to run, you can't. You sit in it. Even though it may feel too heavy, you sit in it. Even though you may not know the way to heal, you sit in it. You lament. It's like probably all of us in the room know somebody who's lost a loved one sometime. Maybe this year or maybe, maybe years past even. And it's so evident that that person has never really dealt with that sadness, that heaviness. So they put on the nice smiling face. They, they find a new thing to go to or to occupy their time. But they never just sit in the fact that this is heartbreaking. This is sad. For many of us, maybe in our family or families that we know, there's this elephant in the room constantly, this past tragedy, something that went on. It was, it was dark and it was deep. And instead of really talking about it, it gets brushed under the rug, ends up paralyzing everybody. I mean, even yesterday, when we got together and we celebrated uh, 4th of July, this year, can we all just admit, has been a weird year. 2020 is not exactly what we anticipated. I remember 2019, we're all like, I can't wait for a new year. And then we're like, what just happened? And I've seen jokes about it all online, about 2020 and all these things. But here's the truth. I think that the answer is not just moving on from this painful time within our country, within our world. It's actually, collectively, we're lamenting the fact that it's not what we anticipated. There's something about this reveals to us that we live in a broken world that is far from shalom, that is far from perfection, that is far from God being in the rule and in the reign of all people and in all places. You see, the Psalms of Lament, as they wrote these particular Psalms, this was not about an individual kind of sadness, an individual kind of suffering, but instead they had a communal mentality the Jewish community didn't think about things the way we think about things because they believed that if one part hurt, all parts hurt. If one part failed, all parts failed. If one part was righteous, it had an effect on everyone else as well. They practiced communal lament. So here's my question. How often do we really slow down long enough to realize that our world, our country, our community Maybe even our families are so far from the ideal that God has for this world. That it's so far from what God first intended for us. When is the last time this broke your heart? When is the last time you sat in it long enough to feel the weight of the brokenness around us? And I'll be the first to admit, we live in a place where it's so easy to isolate. Lexington, South Carolina is wonderful. But if we're not careful, we will so far remove ourselves from the pain and the difficulty around us that we'll never feel it. We'll never understand it. You see, for some of us, we're so focused on the next vacation, the next new purchase, the next iPhone, the next relationship, the next high, the next opportunity, 
that we never slow down enough to lament. Let us lament. Let us sit in this. There's a story that I read in a book that I had to read for seminary just a few years ago that began to do something um, within me. It was a book called Roadmap to Reconciliation. And God was beginning to awaken me up to this disunity that we often feel between our white brothers and sisters and our friends of color. And I felt God begin to stir this within me as I read this book. And, and in some ways, it's become kind of come this old song, this old dance. Like, this is a long time ago. We're talking about stuff that's like way history. Let's just move forward. Let's just move on. Let's just, let's just keep, keep going. And in this book, there's this story about this group of people who take oftentimes throughout the year, different groups of people, this journey called a Sankofa journey. And so Sankofa is a word that comes from Ghana, and it means this, to reach back and get it. To reach back and get it. There's an African proverb that goes along with it that says, it is not wrong to go back for that which has been forgotten. And so annually, there's this group that take this journey together, intentionally cross-racial, to learn and to find out as Christians how to look back so we can move forward into a healthier place. And so reading directly from the book, the story is told this way. One of the stops on this trip was at a museum where there was photographs documenting the brutal and horrific lynchings of black men, women, and children. After the people on the church trip saw the exhibit, they were shocked. They were speechless. They were horrified. After a while, some of the white people started trying to distance themselves from what had been done. They didn't want to feel responsible, and it was a long time ago. And then a black student stood up on the bus, and speaking from her hurt, she announced calmly that she believed all white people were evil. And this led to anger and, and raising of voices. When finally the author says that a white female stood up and began to speak and everyone held their breath. But instead of another version of please don't make me responsible for this, she said this. I don't know what to do with what I just saw. I can't fix your pain. I can't take it away, but I can see it. And I will work the rest of my life to fight for you and your children so that they won't experience it. She started to weep. And her mascara streaked down her cheeks, leaving dark trails. The bus was silent. And the leader of the trip looked up and she said, see there, she's crying black tears. She was crying tears that were black with mascara running down her face, but she had also internalized the story. She had identified with the suffering and what they had all seen together. And her tears were tears of a different people who had now become her people. See, the kind of lament that the writer's talking about in Psalm 120 is speaking about one that is not an individual sadness. Psalm 120 is speaking about a sadness that affects many. I believe the first step in us as Christians especially, being able to see God bring healing to the world, bring wholeness to the world, bring completeness to the world, bring shalom to the world within our communities, within our families, maybe it begins right here in lament, to feel the deep sadness of the very things that break the heart of God. I've had the privilege to travel outside of our country a few times. And as Jeff was talking earlier, he and I both traveled to Liberia for 10 days. 
I spent 10 days in a country that still doesn't have running water and electricity to most of the people in the country because of two civil wars that destroyed the entire country. I've been to the Dominican Republic and spent time with Haitian families who live in the Dominican and try to eke out an existence as refugees in sugarcane fields. No place to call home. I've spent time with children from our community right up the road, helping do homework, playing football with kids whose fathers aren't in the home, who wonder where their next meal is going to come from. We're trying to learn how to dream for the future again. Does the, does the brokenness of the world break your heart? So we're so quick to isolate. We're so quick to move past, so quick to numb. But instead, what we're called to in the very first psalm of all the psalms of ascent is to first and foremost lament. And this is what the Jewish people did each and every year to remind themselves of where they've come from before they move forward. Let us lament. There's a story in the Old Testament. You've probably heard it before. Some scholars believe it's the oldest story written within the scriptures. And it comes from the book of Job. If you've read this story before, in the very first chapter, it's not the most uplifting book you'll ever read in the Bible. The very first chapter, this man Job loses everything. He loses his family, his children, his livestock, his livelihood, his health, his dignity. It is all gone. It is all taken from him. In the very last lines in chapter one, his wife speaks to him and she says to him, curse God and die. Thanks, honey. That's exactly what I need to hear right now. But the story goes on in chapter two. There are some friends who show up. And in Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, here's what it says. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles they had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You see, in this story, if this was set in America and some of my friendships and some of the ways I would respond, typically you have friends that would come like, listen, Job, don't worry. It's going to be fine. Uh, Job, this isn't God's fault. Don't blame this on God. We, we try to explain away all this hardship, all this suffering, all this difficulty. I love what his friends do. Now, they become different kind of friends throughout the story. But at the very beginning, they're nailing it. They show up with him, and for seven days and seven nights, they sit with him, and they don't say a word. What's being demonstrated in Job chapter 2 is, is in Jewish culture what's known as sitting shiva. Shiva was a seven-day period of mourning where if someone had a loss of some kind, they would come and sit with that person and not say a word, but lament alongside of them. Let their pain be their pain. They weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. I was in college, about to graduate, my best friend and I, and we had a man named David Olshine. Some of y'all may know him, a professor from CIU who had invested in our lives heavily for many, many years. We loved him, like another dad. And we got a phone call one day saying that Olshine's dad had passed away in Florida. And now Nick and I, we were like 19, 20-year-old kids. We had no idea how to comfort somebody in the loss of a parent. This was like unfamiliar territory for us. We were not very good at like grieving alongside of others, so we didn't really know what to do. So the best thing we could think to do was to go to Best Buy and buy a season of Seinfeld, as you do. 
And we drove to Olshine's house. We walked up to the door. We knocked on the door, and he opened the door, and we hand, handed him our meager gift of Seinfeld season whatever. Handed it to him. We walked in the house with him, and we went right to the living room. We sat down on the couch. And for probably 30, 45 minutes, no one said a word. And there were multiple times where I felt like I needed, like, I, was gonna, I wanted to say, but I just felt like it, was, it wasn't appropriate. But instead, just sit. And let his pain be our pain. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. After this, I remember Olshine told us that it was such an encouragement to his soul, the fact that we just showed up. That we identified with his pain. That we lamented alongside of him. Now I realized that yesterday was 4th of July. I realized that we probably ate more hot dogs, more hamburgers than we should have. We wakeboarded, we swam to our heart's content yesterday. We enjoyed everything. And I know that in some ways it was an opportunity to escape from probably the craziest time in the world that we've ever seen. But I want to invite us today to be reminded that our world is far from being what God has intended it for it to be in so many ways. And if there are people, especially Christians, who are willing to awaken across this community, this state, this country, in this world, and begin to allow themselves to lament what has been lost in order that we might reach back and get it, we might see things change. So here's what I believe to be true this morning. We don't heal from what we refuse to feel. We will never heal from what we refuse to feel. And if we keep numbing ourselves, keep moving forward, keep distracting ourselves, we will never heal from this past stuff. Maybe there's sin in your life and it beats you up daily. Go there. Deal with it. Lament it. As we watch in our country right now, as our friends of color, 400 years of oppression and difficulty and struggle, we can't just move on. We have to go there, feel that, sit in that. COVID-19 has destroyed everything. There are families right here, right now, probably this morning, who have nurses or doctors in their family, police officers in their family, EMS in their family, who go out each and every day to take care of others. And we wonder, are they gonna come back? That's sad. We should lament that. There are folks in this community, in this church, who have lost everything during this economic downturn livelihoods, things they've worked for for years, just gone. We should lament that. There are folks in our church, and maybe you're one of them, my family's one of them, who may have lost someone this past year, years back, and it feels so raw, and it feels so new. Don't run from that. Lament. Sit in that. Feel that. And if it's not you, there's probably someone near you that you can come alongside and you can sit Shiva with and just be with and support. And so this morning, I want to give us the opportunity to do this very thing. And please hear me. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go here. I'm inviting you to, to lament together, not as individuals, but as a community on behalf of a community. So would you join me this morning? Let's pray. Let us lament together here in this space, in this place. 
I first want to invite anyone in the room or who's watching online this morning to acknowledge your own sin. All of the ways that you've missed the mark, you've lost the path, you've not lived into the ideal that God has for you. I believe one of the most dangerous places we can find ourselves is when our sin no longer affects us. When we no longer feel its weight. Lament for those whom your sin has affected. Lament the way your sin breaks your relationship with God. Let us lament. Second, there are those among us this morning who have put themselves in harm's way during this global pandemic and other chaos. Our our hearts hurt for them and their families as nurses have worked long hours, doctors have worked to heal the sick, police officers and EMS have sacrificed in order to keep us safe. Let us lament. See, our nation has again come to the realization that this 400-year-old wound of racism is not a distant memory. It is a current reality. And there's no place for it in the kingdom of God. Many have turned their attention as never before to the hurt and the difficulty, and we are listening. And we mourn our painful past. And we weep with those who weep. Let us lament. For many, this past year has been marked by the loss of a loved one. And we've been told that time will heal all wounds, but it doesn't seem to be true in our case. Everything reminds us of them, and it feels fresh, and it feels painful still. And we wonder if we will ever feel whole again. Let us lament. There are many among us today who have suffered as our economy has suffered. Some folks' livelihood, their their entire business has been paralyzed or completely depleted. Some in our community have the anxiety of wondering how they'll pay the next bill. How do they get food on the table? Our hearts break. We feel that pain. Let us lament. God, we come before you this morning the same way the writers of Psalm 120 came. Hear our distress. Hear our prayers. For those of us today, God, as followers of Jesus who are for peace, who are for shalom, help us in a world that is for war. A, war, a world that is for difficulty and strife and struggle. Being for peace is exhausting. Would you empower us, God? And may it begin right here as we lament the pain around us that we might be a part of the solution and the healing for the world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.